Today, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Swan Private. Now, you know from listening to this show that our money is broken. Fortunately, we have Bitcoin, a better money that will help us build a brighter future. But if you don't have a Bitcoin strategy and a trusted partner to help you execute that strategy, then you're probably going to fall behind. Now, I've known the Swan Bitcoin team for years. The Bitcoiners at Swan are mission driven and have deep expertise and respect in the Bitcoin space. In my opinion, this is the team you want on your side. Today, I'd like to highlight Swan's private client services division, which guides high net worth individuals and businesses around the world toward building and preserving wealth with Bitcoin. So visit swanprivate.com and learn how this concierge service gives you direct access to your dedicated Bitcoin advisor by phone, messaging, and email. Swan will guide you on complex areas such as self-custody, or you can choose to hold your Bitcoin through Swan with one of the largest U.S. regulated custodians. So make your first purchase with Swan Private and get $100 of Bitcoin. Just tell them that I sent you. You know, an opportunity like this to build and preserve legacy impacting wealth for your family and company will not likely be seen again in our lifetimes. Sign up at swanprivate.com today, mention Breedlove to your advisor, and get $100 in free Bitcoin when you make your first buy. Chris Sullivan, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate it. Really glad to have you here. Um, this is the first set of live interviews that I've done, so very special occasion for me and the show, so I'm really glad to have you here. Awesome. It's an honor, bro. Um, I think what would be useful is if we just start with your background, because your background professionally is very relevant to all of the topics we're going to go through today. Um, and I think, you know, I've gotten to know you pretty well over the past couple of years. I think you've got very deep purpose in the space. Um, and so I think that would be very useful to unpack that sure. for our audience. It, it really is, um, you know, hokey in, in retrospect, because you're, you're just a sum of parts right mm -hmm. and each experience whether good or bad most of the bad help you learn faster mm -hmm. right help you evolve as a, a better human if that's what you're striving to be i've always been striving for harmony with the environment harmony with humanity mm -hmm. you know try and exude the two things i think matter most with humanity which are humility and forgiveness mm -hmm. those those are the two things that if you can have humility and you have the capacity to forgive you're, you're just going to accelerate the process of learning from mistakes mm -hmm. and then hopefully over time make less of them. So, right. you know, uh, unlike sort of the, 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 we'll call them the silver spoon type crowd, where you follow a very rigid track and there's almost no ingenuity or forethought to it. It's a process that you're following. It, right. it, it can be very successful if you're measuring it just from one aspect, but mine, I kind of fell into all kinds of different ways organically. My first track in college, if, if you start with education, was really in music. That, I didn't know that. And I was so terrible at the process of, of getting, you know, a, a symphony written or a quartet written that I switched over to history. And that really got me um, really diving into, wait a minute, this group won, they wrote it this way, this group lost, they wrote it that way. And trying to say that there are elements and tenets of both sides and stories that have to be true or mostly true somewhere in the middle were the facts. And yeah. then looking through all the, the times in history where it's been destroyed, where written records been destroyed and rewritten, uh, whether it's through the, the edifices that have been you know, um, built throughout Western Europe, the East, 
and, and in America, or it's through the records that were destroyed most recently uh, by, by, you know, militarist folks in, in Syria and Damascus. Right. Um, so noting that none, there's no absolute truth to the word that's written by man, I had that construct to apply to finance. Mm. And I've been trading since I was 13 years old. Uh, my grandfather, who didn't have a college education, World War II veteran, was a carpenter, started a business and saved the hard way. And back then, what was really enamoring to how you could invest was you were buying a piece of a company mm -hmm. and you own that piece. And for that, they were paying very high dividends, eight, nine, 10% mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. And you had a very small capitalization of the market, very few companies. Now you have actually, you know, more ETFs than there are even equities, which kind of seems silly mm -hmm. to me. Um, so just the nature of investing through the late 40s into really call it late 70s, early 80s was a lot different than how it is now. And we'll get into the pathways on how it's changed and diverted. But that was always in something that enamored me. Wait a minute, I can save money and I can buy a piece of something that does what I believe in in a way that provides goods and services of value to the public and I can get paid a distribution mm -hmm. from management. That was always some of the romantic side that, that drove me to trade and, and, and look at investing from a very young age. Luckily, um, when I was on kind of a JD MBA track, because I, I wasn't sure what to do with myself, I, I was fortunate to get an offer uh, to, to go trade at Morgan Stanley. And that was when they gave you the whole kind of six month dedication, all the different exams you have to take. And once I dove into that reading, it then forced me to go, oh, well, I'm going to read every financial book ever written, which, mm. which I, you know, close enough for rock and roll, as they say. Um, which this is, this is after college. This is after college. I yeah. do. I don't know. Just to mention this, you told me once about your reading list in college Correct. that some professor gave you. So I do want to hear that at some point. Yeah. So ha it, what Robert's pointing out is like what my professors made me read led me to a reading list that I, I think helps craft humanity mm -hmm. and, and you can't ignore the classics. They, yeah. they include, you know, the Greeks, I think Cicero's De Republica is absolutely essential to read. Herodotus, the, the history of histories, which is the history of the Peloponnesian War is essential to read. And then all the way through the, the Austrians, mm -hmm. right? I think you can bookend it with the Austrians because it's the only true economic theory rooted in fact. Yeah. All the other stuff is alchemy as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. um, and really you can tell a lot of the economists, first off, they're never right with their predictions. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that in lies the rub, right? right. Like, Making predictions is, is a silly thing to do anyways. Um, but the Austrians laid out what I think are, are rules for economics that mirror the natural world. Yes. Right? You have natural right. law, as perfectly described by John Locke, mm -hmm. and then you have economic law, which is a reflection of natural law, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's where, jumping into finance, I had a good background from reading economic philosophers, philosophers, and all of the history of histories yeah. to give me a base of trying to, how to understand it. Um, and these, those books, a lot of books that you read there form or are part of the Western canon, right? Correct. And these are, this is the literature that is the basis of Western civilization pretty much. Right. It, you know, I think if you look at, it depends on when you want to start, but if you look at industrial revolution and formation of the American government, mm -hmm. Right, the tenets that were written by by John Locke and Adam Smith, mm -hmm. which f famous book Wealth of Nations, yeah. were were an expression of 
I think what, what they would call Pentecostal Christianity, mm. which has humble pleasure in good work, hard work, right. humility, yeah. self-respect, ethics. Delayed gratification. Right. Yeah. And then mixing in sort of the, the laissez-faire mm-hmm. side that was coming out of the second French Revolution, which was let the market decide. Mm-hmm. And we, we did really express that. The Constitution in its original language does express and embody what I think are a combination of the natural law from, from nature and God yes. with the economic law that mirrors it. Yes, yeah, and it sort of naturally set up this whole ethos of decentralization, right? Which right. was implemented in the Constitution via the three branches of governments, government checks and balances, all the rest. Um, I, I didn't mean to get you off track, though, about no. your reading. Now you're reading finance books as you're early in your career. Right, and the the three-pronged approach to government, which was purposely designed to accomplish nothing, right? right yes. Really showed me that, hey, the forefathers who really weren't doing it for themselves as much as the modern, you know, narrative is they want to paint them to be evil. Mm-hmm. They, they were really leaving a mark on the planet. They knew they were doing that. Mm-hmm. George Washington knew what he was doing. And so did the, Madison and Jefferson and Franklin. They, they realized they were making history. And be, before that, you really have never had this, you know, experiment of and degree of freedom ever implemented across the whole planet. Yep. Exactly. So, so they were aware of that, and you could argue that it, it was definitely for the generations behind them, not for themselves. Yeah. And it took immense courage. It was seven, eight percent of the the colony population at the time that rebelled. The fact that they even won against Imperial England is is unbelievable. Right. Um, so, to me, like f- knowing that that was the idea behind the construct of the government, how was the market application of that applied via? the intermediaries, mm-hmm. right? Because they they just decided that, well, the market's gonna decide. What's the market? Mm-hmm. Us, right? we're the market, yeah. right? If I say, hey dude, I, we can't have hats anymore because you know hats are killing dolphins and everybody agrees we don't wanna kill dolphins and then hats disappear. That's the market deciding yeah. on, on a good or service that shouldn't exist for yeah. whatever reason. Um, then you get into what's the source of all of this finance? Uh-huh. And that really starts to wake you up. I mean, it, right now, if you take the two biggest asset managers, you can, you know, Vanguard, BlackRock, you round up and say it's four or five trillion, right? Where'd that money come from? Right? At best, it's the savings of investors like you and I. Yeah. At worst, it's pulled out of people's paychecks to go into sovereign wealth funds, pension funds, right. and, and whatever to perpetuate the fees that are taken out of, of you know, Wall Street's application yeah. of, you know, investment theses and strategies, but essentially it, it, it went because it was gradually and then most recently in 08 by force consolidated, right? From brokerage houses, savings and loans in the 80s, if everybody remembers that crisis, yeah. this went from a initially more decentralized construct to a wholly centralized construct. Right. And in the, in the transition from decentralized investment processes to centralized, it lost all of its free market principles, lost all its its value yeah. as a long-term investment uh, pathway for humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it lost all its value as, as an engine of wealth creation. Um, I, can, I can go really deep on the wealth creation side because right now IPOs are not to where, hey, well, you and I have a good idea. We've got this app, then we've got this factory. We're going to employ 20,000 people. We need to go raise 250 million yeah. with an equity raise on IPO. Yeah. Now it's, we're Uber with a billion in debt and we're going to dump on the public because we're so huge, right. 
that all the private equity and venture folks are going to get out. Yeah. That, that's not capital formation, and that's certainly not a healthy process when you relate to what happened from the 50s through the early 90s. Yeah. And the best part of the dot-com bust was which part of it? The, the bust part of it, right? Yeah. Because the market was allowed to destroy the, the pets.com and the dot right, right, and dot, right. all the different you know, companies that weren't meant to make it. And now you've got 81% of the entire publicly traded universe that's zombie companies. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, the return to economic reality that's necessary, the, the destructive part of creative destruction, right? Right. You need the forest fire to clear the debris and all that for healthy new growth. Because there's nothing wrong with humans speculating in it mm -hmm. creating excess when it's engineered destruction yeah. for the purposes of consolidation and power, then it, it just, it's uninvestable as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so how did we then, starting with this newly implemented American government that was built on the principles, Judeo-Christian principles, but also principles of decentralization as we would call them today, um, such that a tyranny could not manifest itself, right? They had basically rebelled against tyranny in England. They were taking the lessons they had learned and trying to build something more sustainable uh, more freedom oriented and ultimately more wealth generative right. in, in the new world. How did we go from that to this centralized consolidated model? And I, I'm assuming the Federal Reserve is somewhere in the middle of that Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's taken the same path it's, it's always taken. There's nothing ever new, right? There, we're living multiple timelines at once in multiple mm -hmm. spheres of consciousness. Nothing is new ever. There, there are tinges of it that make it different, but mm. We, we seem as humans to, as Aldous Huxley said, never actually learn from our mistakes. And mm -hmm. this is the greatest mistake mankind makes is never learning from mistakes. Mm -hmm. But there, it's similar to every way that this has happened in all of history. You, you begin debasing currency. How do you begin debasing currency? And I think people don't understand what debasing currency means. In, mm -hmm. in Roman terms, it can mean, hey, instead of it being an ounce of silver, it's an seventh of an ounce of silver you don't really know mm -hmm. that we took an eighth of it and put it in copper to just slowly debase mm -hmm. the coinage right there's old school processes that, that happen like that but you have to have a central authority mm -hmm. that serves as the bank the treasury right and the, the majority of the time it's the corruptibility of man that leads mm -hmm. to that construct to debase in currency whereas voltaire has so accurately said there's fiat always is a race to zero. There's yes. no example right. where the transition from commodity money to fiat ever ends in any outcome other than that. Right. There's not one. Right. And to think that we're, we're going to somehow. This time it's different. It, 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 it's just embarrassing. Mm -hmm. It shows that no matter how teched out we, we can get, there's a limitation of what the mind can conceive, mm -hmm. conceptualize, and accept. Mm -hmm. um, and in America, we literally were formed in a battle against this construct. The, the, the Revolutionary War was not a war about tea or tax mm -hmm. or stamps. It was a war against central authority coming out of the Bank of England. Mm -hmm. And really, Europe is, is, is a larger landmass mm -hmm. because it's the same, same families that have owned these banks and it's the same manipulative funding of both wars since the Napoleonic mm -hmm. Wars. This is all factual history, not hard to find if you actually research it. Yeah. And they wanted to have their own destiny 
be in their hands and not be dictated to. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, basically the first bank of the United States was brought in by Alexander Hamilton. It had a 20 year charter. This is important history. It had a 20 year charter. And then do you know that you remember the result of what happened when that 20 year charter expired? I recall them trying to renew, um, was it Andrew Jackson resisting the renewal? So it was right, right before him, that was, that was the next round. Yeah. Um, but when we didn't pass the renewal uh-huh. that they were going for a 30 year renewal, the war 1812 started a year later. <laughs> How convenient. And it, the same people we were fighting yeah. the revolutionary war, um, in that war, we were backed by the czars in Russia. Mm. Interestingly, the, the Bolshevik revolution was written by many historians as a revenge mm. to them helping America. So, you know, even though we, we technically won the War of 1812, somehow the bank appeared in its second form. And that's when Andrew Jackson famously slammed his fist down to you are a den of vipers mm-hmm. by the eternal I will out you. And he did successfully. He successfully paid back all the debt and he got rid of the second central bank in mm-hmm. the United States, uh, which really that we had, we had the largest economic boom measurably in the history of the country during that period because we went all the way until when? 1913 mm. without, without a central bank. So that was from when until 1913? So basically, uh, and I don't have the dates in front of me, but mid 1800s right. on. Right. And, and the, which was the Gilded Age, right? Correct. And, yeah. and really the Civil War, you could argue, was also a manufactured war mm. between banking forces uh, that were not in charge of the United States at the time. Um, there's not as much evidence on that as far as the research is concerned. A lot of it because of it was burned down right. and the South was burned to the right. ground. Um, but, you know, the antebellum period into the Gilded Age yeah. did have enormous expansion, enormous construction. Um, it's, it's amazing we had enough granite to, yes. to cover all the buildings right. that were built in that time period. Um, but that, that shows you that when left to our own devices, of course we can be tribal and destroy each other, yeah. but the Abrahamic religions, which Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, all have virtually the same tenets right. that man is you know, destined to follow in some degree or another for our own survival. Right. So that's a really great period to reflect upon how how amazing things can be. Yeah. Um, there, so, I mean, I guess one thing that really jumps out to me here is there seems to be this deep connection between the corruptibility of money itself, right? The fact that it can be debased, centrally planned, et cetera, and warfare, right? Like, it's a, and that was the excuse for the first, uh, it was the first national bank in the US, it's because we're going to war, right? We needed a central bank to fund the war effectively. Right. So we've, I mean, when you start to look at humanity through that lens that we've been engaged in these acts of conflict with one another, but it's always critically tied to the money itself, like the control of the money. That's been kind of the saga we've been dealing with, right? Throughout all human history. You know, you could certainly argue all wars, but Mm. more specifically, Napoleonic wars onwards. And that includes all the proxy wars. Mm. That includes all the regime change where the Nicaragua, Venezuela, blah, Mm. blah, blah, Syria, um, Albania, basically everywhere mm-hmm. to protect the quote unquote petrodollar. Um, but it, it is, it's the pathway that man becomes corrupt is mm-hmm. certainly money. Right. And 
there are certainly just wars where I'm invading you trying to take your women, children, and wheat, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is just for you to rebel and fight back. Mm-hmm. That that I have absolutely no problem with because it's it's one-on-one conflict versus conflict, not the folks that are wielding the power of the money are never the ones actually going to war. And right. they convince millions to die, millions to starve. There's genocide at every turn. Yeah under the, the guise of protecting their interests. Right. World War One and World War II were forcibly started on us. It had almost nothing to do with, with Germany, specifically World War One, and then Hitler's rise to power was sponsored by them and right. funded by them, right. even funded by the United States yeah. in part. Yeah. Um, and he's born out of the ashes of the Weimar hyperinflation, which I think is always a key point. Like if fiat currency did not exist, Hitler would not have risen to power. Right. And why did the Weimar Republic even suffer so much, right? Yeah. They were pulverized on purpose by the money changers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They, they hyperinflated due to their massive debts that they owed in, in reparations after mm-hmm. World War One. What happened after World War Two? Did the U.S. ever get paid back? No. <laughs> so it, it, all of this stuff was forced on the German people. And then that's, it's a natural human response to stress and pressure. It's very similar to what the COVID hysteria, yes. right? Or Trump derangement syndrome, all, all right. the stuff that's forced on us. Um, you, you're only going to react in, in a few ways and you want to find a common enemy. Yeah. And that sort of, you know, social engineering is not new, right? Yeah. They're really good at it now, i.e. look at all the COVID responses. Right. They were less good at it back in, in the Weimar Republic. But yeah. that gave rise to the German people accepting essentially the birth of, of the Nazi party and Hitler and right. signing up for it, even they, even though they didn't realize what they were signing up for. Yeah. They just want to change. So interesting. So you, I mean, this level of knowledge you were taking into your, the beginning of your professional career, essentially. So it changed me quickly. And you're looking at your own involvement in that through a certain lens as you start to integrate yourself into Wall Street. What was that experience like? You know, at first I was like, grateful to learn more on how to apply, like Mm -hmm. learning options, strategies, market making, futures, high frequency trading, um, learning what, you know, what do hedge funds do? Well, they're supposed to hedge. Why Mm -hmm. why would I give my money to a hedge fund? To protect it, Mm -hmm. making it secondary to protecting it, right? Mm Because we're saving our money. Why are we doing that? We want to be productive later. And and then the other construct of it is, oh, we got to keep up with inflation. Well, Can anybody tell why? Why, why is there inflation? Because <laughs> technology is, it, it disrupts and creates what? Deflation. Yeah. And supply chains being global should also create yes. deflation. So As wait a digital minute. Tech. Why were we taught that, Robert? And, you know, you could argue it from many different fronts. Like, we can, I'm sure we'll get into what is inflation, why it exists. But we're trained as investors to, oh, we got to have our money in the market because we might miss out because we got to keep up with inflation. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, maybe there are influences that aren't necessarily looking out for us in recommending that we have all our money exposed to the market at all times to keep up with inflation. Right. They're, they're, mm-hmm. You don't have to get that dark or that deep to recognize that the propaganda associated with that is disingenuous at best. Right. And I think, you know, when I, when I, that was kind of the first like wake up. And then I'll, I'll give a, a recent example to kind of bookend. Recently on the London Metals Exchange, there was a, a nickel 
short that was roughly six to eight billion from a southeastern Asian investor who effectively got the exchange in a margin call default situation. And then their creditors, which included JP Morgan and other big banks, were also going to be on the hook. What happened as a result? They created capital controls on the trade limits, keeping it to 15% up or down a day. Didn't margin call the investor to blow them out of the position. Did not default on the note for LME. Meanwhile, the price tanked a few billion, got them out, rechanged the rules so that the investors who were long suffered an unnatural manipulated result that cost them money, that their money was then transferred to exchange investor that was on the wrong side mm-hmm. and creditors. Mm-hmm. That is not different from what happened with GameStop and other stocks. Right. Because let's let's look at the legal construct. Because my you know my, one of my partners is an expert on exchange and high frequency. He's a mm-hmm. famous whistleblower. He's uh, the, the one of the characters of Dark Pools. My other partner famously wrote the uh, Inside the Black Box series. When you look at the law that requires national best bid and offer, and then and then go wait a minute, I have an app, Robert. And I get paid seven hundred million a year for sending all of my order flow to you, market making mm-hmm. hedge fund, and then you pay me seven hundred million dollars for that order flow for last year, and then you make three billion off of it. How does the consumer get the best execution? Is that an efficient market? Right, and that's that's the second lie mm-hmm. that we're taught. Have your money in the market because you got to keep up with inflation. Right. Second, the, this is an efficient market. Whether you're looking at it from the efficient market hypothesis right. or you're looking at it from Markowitz's modern portfolio theory. Well, guess what, dude? It's not only mathematically wrong, but it is pure lie and pure propaganda. Mm-hmm. An efficient market does two core things. One, it quickly prices in available information. Mm-hmm. And two, allows for immediate price discovery, see rule one. Mm-hmm. You can't have the pricing in of available knowledge without, without the ability discovery. to have price discovery, yeah. right? So everyone who's listening to this should ask themselves, how do those two things get applied currently? Mm. They're not allowed, right? So what, what you've built, not that was not there in the 50s when our grandparents started investing, mm-hmm. what you've built is a passive permanent buyer that comes in bi-weekly and, and quarterly mm-hmm. via 401ks, ETFs, mutual funds, et cetera. So there's a constant buyer that's roughly 40, 60% of the market at all times, always, always buying. So how, how it even goes down is beyond me. Um, that was engineered. Then you have, by that alone occurring, forget if there's anything you know nefarious going on, that doesn't allow for price discovery. Right. But then how, how markets price in has been eliminated, especially in the last 25 years, by central banks. Mm-hmm. We have the highest inflation ever in mankind's history right now as, as a collective group, certainly in, in the United States, yet interest rates are negative? Right. Wait, how do we have, is it an interest rate if it's negative? I, I mean, come on, this is, this is my four-year-old gets this mm-hmm. better than, than most. And no one's really questioning why and how. And it goes back to the root and source of monetary policy, right? If you and I were gonna say, hey, what's the market rate for, for credit right now? 
we would decide based on all of the functions that go into it. What's the duration? What's my credit risk? How fast am I going to get paid back? Which gets to a calculation called convexity. Mm -hmm. With a negative interest rate, what happens to my equation when I try to calculate risk for a bond as a quant? Convexity well, becomes a negative concavity. number times any number is what? <laughs> right. So, so it makes it, it's it's a it's a function in, in futility. Yeah. Um, so, as a quant who learned that only to risk manage, I wanted to understand the math behind it so we could take very calculated, precise risks, know precisely what we were looking at in time duration, in loss, etc. And then I'm going through all that quant, going, "Hey, none of this makes any sense because the equations are all busted. What's my risk-free rate? Negative." Is it really risk-free? Like, dude, they built in to equations a risk-free rate based on a treasury bond. Right. Which is sort of asinine in and of itself, right? Yeah. The very concept of a risk-free rate. Risk-free return doesn't exist in nature. No. How does it exist in finance? Right. And and so, you know, I blindly read this stuff and I'm slowly going, wait a minute, that can't be right. And, it, and this was about, you know, 2010. I kind of left and went entrepreneurial, started and fund business and asset management business initially on, you know, algorithms and, and options and, and stuff like that. But then I read the white paper mm. and I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I wasn't teched out enough to really grasp mm -hmm. how to access it at first. And, and really the first entree into it was like 2013, but it, it enamored me because of the language of the white paper. And then I love that in, I think it's line 40 of the code. Of, that mentions the bank, second bank bailout. Yeah, I mean, right. that just gives me chills even talking about right, it. Right, right, right. Um, it exists as a counterpoint to all that has failed. Yes, yes. A point of truth amid all the lies. What, so, may, to try and maybe distill this down to something somewhat simple, a lot of what you're describing is people, correct me where I'm wrong here, but people effectively fighting over the ability to control the rules of the game such that they win in perpetuity versus everyone just playing according to a fixed immutable rule set, right? So you actually play the game within the confines of the rules. And Bitcoin emerges as like the counterpoint to all of that, as you said. It's like just rules that no one can fucking change so we can all just play the game to the best of our ability, the game being economic productivity, satisfaction of human wants, right? Pursuit of, of capital wealth. Yeah, capital wealth, pursuit of happiness. Right, because if everything was perfect, I wouldn't have to save money for kids' education like, like you're right. doing. We wouldn't have 2,500% inflation right. while we've been alive on those education costs. Healthcare inflation, 1,700% while we've been alive. This, we wouldn't be forced into a situation where we're making X, we could spend Y, but we're gonna save Z because if we don't, our bloodline is gonna suffer. Right. So we're sacrificing as parents for the, our kids to be able to have it hopefully easier yeah. than we had it because there's this unstoppable force creating these hyperbolic curves of, of cost. Yes. Um, and they, you know, don't, don't even get me started on, they change the equations. They're not even counting M2 anymore. Right. How are we supposed to track money right. supply? Right. I mean, conveniently after March 2020. Yeah. I, I mean, so to me, it was like point counterpoint, having consumed all of what I thought was just disingenuous is the nice way to put it from, from Wall Street. I don't care if they're motivated by money and greed. Charge 5%, right. but do it in a defensible way that you win with your clients. Right. Right. Like, 
the dumbing down of, oh, look at this low cost, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, w what have we learned with all the tech? If it's free or low cost, you're the product. Right. 100%. I'm not buying a freaking iShares ETF. I'm the damn product. Right. And then they track all your data and your account numbers and this and that. Yes. Your, your assets are held, not, not segregated in an account. They're not even yours. Yes. I mean, it, it, the, right. you, what don't, you don't have title with. to it either, right? It's all held by the DTCC. Oh, and that, that's all. So systemic risk is created by the concentration of all of this, which you just point out. Mm -hmm. DTCC is, you know, it's run by good folks who are working hard. Most of them have no clue the, the degree of risk that this creates. But why aren't, if I own, um, let's pick a, a company I like, Caterpillar. Yeah. Right, big machines made in Peoria, good American company, helps with farming, helps with roads, infrastructure. Yeah. If you and I own those shares, why why do we need them to be dis held by an intermediary? If we hold them on our our app, our wallet, yeah. If they're tokenized, we can put right. them on our wallet. But in our Schwab or our TD or our yeah. whatever accounts, they're held on behalf of that, not even at those entities. Why does that exist? Mm -hmm in one part to take fees on fees on fees that they yep. don't disclose as fees because lawyers made it constructed as a way where, oh, only investment management yep. fees. Yep. Are, these aren't commissions, they're processing fees. So you're, you're end up paying more than you did when you're paying a stockbroker in the 80s. Yes. But you have no clue you're doing it. And rehypothecation, right? So Which then you get into naked shorting. Yeah. How can you have, how can you have more than 100% of the shares, long or short, trade? Right. Right? <laughs> That seems like, all right, if, if Caterpillar has a billion shares, there should only be a billion mm -hmm. that are able to be traded one way or the other, right? Yeah. Simple math. Yeah. And what was it on AMC and all those others? It's like 160 that we even know of. Yes. So what, again, trying to simplify or zoom out on this a little bit, it, to get to this level of market sophistication, liquidity, trading, volume, all of this, we needed robust, sophisticated information systems. We're doing this and this is all built in the 20th century. So this is an analog world, right? A paper-based world, pre-digital. And we've had some success, you know, some of these things, centralizing some of these things makes them more efficient, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it was never, we were never able to solve the corruptibility problem, right? Whoever's governing that infrastructure can always twist and tweak the rules such that they receive a perpetual profit um, at the expense of everyone else. And that is, that's the problem, right? That's like the chink in the armor that gets, it, you draw that out too far and everyone's just getting fucked in the market, basically. Constantly. Yeah. I mean, the purest form of describing what the market is, is it's designed to destroy money. It's mm. primary function. And let's be clear that we're talking about the implementation of the market as it is today, not Correct. the free market in principle. Correct. Yes. This, this, what we've seen in, 87, 2000, 2008, 16, 18, 2020, that didn't destroy anything, it perpetuated. Just because stuff goes down doesn't mean it gets destroyed, mm -hmm. right? Going down, going up is the last thing anybody needs to think about when being concerned about placing risk and hard-earned capital in the market. Because what are you doing? You're transferring an increment of your labor into an asset, mm -hmm. right? You need to know what the playing field is, not whether you just shoot a three-pointer and make it, right? Mm -hmm. It's where do I stand for the three point line? Do I, who's recording yes. me getting the three points? Right. It, it's, it's just infinite in, in the, this, this like 
disruption of that process. That's a great analogy, actually. Like if you just imagine the rules of basketball right. constantly shifting, right? The three-point line, the free-throw line. How maybe it's a four-pointer, maybe it's a five-pointer. Like you can't play the game. You, the game makes no sense. All the cooperation and competition within the confines of that game collapses. Right. right? We become barbaric again. And in '94, this is where it happened. You go from pits. It's very, it's very, very difficult. You know, before we got off the gold standard, to print money mm-hmm. without this digital way to do it mm-hmm. and get away with it. Right. In right. open outcry trading pits, right, it, where brokers are yelling and screaming, there's real capital going to work. That that is a much more difficult way to manipulate things, either as omniscient or or other, yeah. um, to once you digitize. Right. And that really is a, is a sad fact because getting off the gold standard was the first like mm. evil that led us down this path. Mm. And then once we digitized everything where literally they go control P here. Right. Right. It, Trillions. It just is mind boggling. So maybe here, this, all right, this is a great point to just zero in on this term, we're throwing it around a little bit, but like the effortlessness of that inflation, I guess we would say like, what is, inf- what's actually happening when we control P these tens of trillions, what's happening to real people in the real world? Right. So inflation is not the price of goods going up. Inflation is an increase of money supply. Yes. Money supply is measured in a, in a few ways, but the one I think that's most important is M1 and M2. Those, those are the primary, you know, money, credit, cash equivalents, right? Mm-hmm. We want to want to see what is liquid and can increase velocity of money, which is how fast it changes hands and mm-hmm. makes people a dime, right? right? Velocity of money. If you look at those charts, you have money supply this way and velocity of money this way. Mm-hmm. Well, why does that occur if more money supply than nature ever intended cubed mm-hmm. exists, but nobody is experienced the velocity of that, mm-hmm. right? The answer is twofold. It's going to those who print it mm-hmm. and it's going into asset prices and inflating them rather than the economy. Right. Right. So we can debate at length without, you know, having proof of why that's the case, right. For, for many reasons, mm-hmm. but the math doesn't lie. Yeah. And the best part about being a quant, how terrifying it is to see the, the honesty in the math is also the honesty of the math, mm-hmm. because you're looking at that number going, how the hell, did we just print eight trillion, but we just made a new low in the velocity of money. Right. Where did that go? Yes. Because then you go. I, I I get so nerdy. Go into the stock market and try and extrapolate in bonds and go. Okay, did all of it siphon in there? Did where did it all go? And there's no math that accounts for it. Mm-hmm. And then do you know why? Because they bought when when the COVID bailouts occurred, they bought through a damn SPV or series of SPVs mm-hmm. out of Bermuda that was basically what we call first loss money where the taxpayer absorbs any drawdown of bigger than 10%. They bought corporate bonds, stocks and ETFs. We don't even know. We have no audit of it. Hmm. We just have what they claim. And so Robert, to stimulate the economy, I'm gonna buy large cap corporate bonds. Okay, ask me how it stimulates the economy. So Robert, these bonds exist in the secondary market, right? So does the Apple employees get the money that the taxpayers on the hook for that the Fed used to buy the bond? No. So, but if they bought in the secondary market 
all it does is push the price up of the bond and the interest rate on the bond down, correct? Oh, okay. So who benefited from that? Only two groups. Apple, mm-hmm. by lowering their finance costs, and the people who own the bond that, or, or have the funds and ETFs that own those bonds. Right. Not one iota of all that money did anything to actually help Apple solve semiconductor shortages, right. hire more workers, have logistics, you know, get with Amazon yeah. truckers. Actually worsens all of those things it, it, because of the resultant inflation. You cannot tell me that that was not on purpose. Right. So this is, I mean, it's a systemized heist, basically. Yeah, so was the, the quote-unquote PPP, which the news has started yeah. to report on all the fraud that involved in that. So like, I'm like, all right, if we assume that humans can be good and we can have a central bank controlled by private individuals globally and have the World Economic Forum and all these supranational technocrats telling us what to do, let's try and assume they're good mm-hmm. and let's look at what they've done. Well, if I was going to print $8 trillion, you know what I'd probably do with it? There you go. Helicopter money. But what would that have done? It would have blown out the velocity of money, mm-hmm. created happiness, lack of fear, lack of anxiety, and then it would have jacked interest rates into oblivion right. naturally. Yeah. So you just have to appraise it and, and go, if I don't even have any bad intentions, what what's the appraisal of this? Mm-hmm. And then what is the outcome of that appraisal? And then look what actually happened. Yeah. And I, I just can't find an argument for, we're going to print money to infinity. We're unaudited. Like the, the yeah. best number for the 08 bailout was 27, 29 trillion at, at best. Hmm. Yet they claim 760 billion of loan defaults blew up the world. Fuck you, bullshit. <laughs> like, sorry, that's a lie. So the, the public was defrauded on that. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, how many millions of people did you kick out of their homes hmm. so that B of A and J, JP Morgan could ab- absorb Wachovia and Washington Mutual and all the banks? How many right. millions, right? Millions. And then what just happened? Oh, moratorium. You don't even need to pay rent to your private residential homeowners. Yes. So does that tell you that they didn't need to kick people out? No, wait. Was that an asset grab? Wow. Dude, no, I'm no rocket scientist. Yeah. I'm a just very basic, simple man. And all I'm doing is questioning the outcomes, the processes, and and why. Right. You, you know what? It's a... It's like if there's not a disciplinary force in the game, right, which gold was essentially that historically, right? You couldn't counterfeit it. You couldn't change the rules. That's what made it desirous as money, you know, at both in both the free market and geopolitically. Because it was trusted. Very right. simple. Yeah, and it still is, by the way, geopolitical money, right? Two countries go to war. You're going to be paying the winners or the losers going to be paying the winner in gold, right? Not in debt or anything. So when you remove that disciplinary force, all of a sudden, the rules are up for grabs, so to speak. You can change them, twist them, abuse them, corrupt them, right? And again, the essence of corruption being this infrastructure we're describing meant to serve the public good, the greater good, whatever that's supposed to mean, that nebulous term. What it's actually being done is bent for private gain by those who can bend it. That is like by definition corruption, and that's what you're describing, right? It's pervasive corruption in this system, and it leads to our self-destruction. Even if you are ascribing to the ideology that 
it's benevolent. Mm -hmm. The fact that it can be done by a board yes. or a, you know, a few branches of government, that, that inherently makes it corrupt. Yes. It's, it's not the will of the people. It's not chosen. Right. Did, did, did any of us have a vote on how much they bailed out? Who did they even bail out? Right. It was a systematic theft again. Right. And this one made 08 look like, oh, that was pennies compared to what yes. they did globally. It's an order of magnitude larger each crisis. Dude, and then, wait, you're saying that we just added $30 trillion in 20 years to the, the balance sheet of the government? Mm -hmm. Well, whose balance sheet is that? Mm -hmm. And here's the fix. The fix is default on the Fed. Mm. Pay all private investors mm. their treasury bond exposure mm -hmm. from taxpayer money. You default on the central banks. Right. It's not their money. They right. conjured it. Right. And they put on the backs of all of the planet's labor yeah. for what? Right. Did anybody benefit? Did it save one? It didn't do it. it in fact, it did the opposite. Right. And what, if I were the devil, what would I do? Well, I would concentrate right. the oligarchy to just four tech companies and three energy companies and five Right. Missile manufacturers and three media companies. Oh, that's what I would do. Yeah. Oh, shit. Is that right. where we're at right now? Few throats to choke, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's mind-numbing the lack of question. And, you know, why? I, one of the things that I think Bitcoin does better than gold is the trust and culture that it permeates through its technological strength yes. supersedes that of gold. Yes, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at here is there's... Man is corrupt, right? Whatever he can do and get away with, he's going to do, basically. The heart of man, right? And I'm not saying all people are corrupt or evil, but I'm saying given the opportunity, there's always a cohort of people that will pursue the immoral path for personal gain. That seems to be e either directly fixed or law of nature. Like, think of how complicit our parents, the baby boomers, were. Yeah. Oh, well, our portfolios are going up, so we're not fucking questioning anything. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're... You're bought in with, with the illusion of, I guess, wealth creation via inflation, but you're not seeing the foundation that's being eroded to create that illusion. And so Bitcoin, I guess then, just by virtue of being incorruptible, actually changes our behavior, right? It just removes the option for that immoral path, so it makes people trade, cooperate, be productive, innovate, all of these things. Mm -hmm. So there's a deep something I keep trying to talk about, like there's a deep relationship between the systems we put ourselves into and our actual behavior and relationships. Yeah, 100%. That the, we become our incentives almost. The, the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, the Roaring Twenties, all of these periods occurred because of an unleashing of economic creativity and innovation. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it can be even boiled down even simpler. If people are happy, they do better. Yes. They treat right. their family, their spouses, their mm -hmm. kids better. They, they think more critically, they sleep better, mm -hmm. they have more sex, mm -hmm. they eat better food because of that root uh, salvation, the mm -hmm. happiness, and that feeling that they're doing good, Yes, right? They're not drugged into oblivion with all the poisonous food and water and mm -hmm. vaccines for every sneeze under mm -hmm. the sun. And, and that's really to dumb people down yeah. so that they're not aware that literally if you're just happy, you get bridges made out of titanium that right. never erode. You get, you know, a $3 trillion tech firm that actually brought, you know, I don't know how many apps are on there that are, are successful companies, but brought out of, out of many garages successful apps, Yes, you know, and startups. So you don't, nobody so respects that. Now I'd like to tell you about a great new Bitcoin show on the scene that you've got to check out. 
Brought to you by Swan Studios and Bitcoin Magazine, this show is Hard Money with Natalie Brunel. Natalie is an Emmy-nominated journalist bringing unparalleled experience to the Bitcoin media scene. And personally, Natalie is one of my favorite voices in the Bitcoin space. Each week on Hard Money, you'll get the top headlines of the week with analysis you won't find anywhere else. Hard-hitting interviews with amazing guests like myself and other top minds in the Bitcoin space. And the show will take you directly into the lives being changed by Bitcoin all over the world. Check out Hard Money at swan.com backslash hard money. Today, I want to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. So how does health insurance work? You send an egregious amount of money to an insurance company. They hold it in a pool of depreciating fiat currency. Then when you have a large health event, you have to pay them even more via your deductible. And then you hope they will cover your bill. And in fact, one in six bills are denied by healthcare.gov plans. It's time to take control of your own healthcare bills. I'd like to introduce you to CrowdHealth. It's a decentralization of healthcare using Bitcoin as an alternative to health insurance. Instead of sending fiat currency to a big corporation, you send that money to an account controlled by you, a portion of which is converted into Bitcoin. Then if you have a big health event, you have a community of Bitcoiners that will use the money in their accounts to help you out. To get more details, go to joincrowdhealth.com backslash breedlove, where you can find the promo code for $99 a month for six months. Is there any, like clearly you and I have a like, of a like mind, not big fans of central banking and the concept of fiat more generally, I would say, which is doing something because an authority said to do it rather than because you want to do it, right? It's contrary to freedom. Correct. Um, is there any counterpoint to that? Is there any like viable economic or social justification for central banking or this central control or this? I, I try to make it, right? But what we've what we first talked about is is the corruptibility of the issuance and the inflationary result, mm -hmm. then the corruptibility of the marketplace and the, and the result. If you examine, is there a societal or social benefit? It's the, it's the exact opposite. You know, look at taxation. First off, it's illegal for the IRS to collect taxes. That is a, sta that is a mm -hmm. statute fact. It is illegal for them to collect taxes. Second, who owns the IRS? Not, not the public. Third, when did taxation even start? Oh yeah, this is a 20th century phenomenon. It did not, mm -hmm. it was not in in our charter. It was not right. in any charter, Magna Carta. Right. It wasn't in any of these charters. Yeah. Taxes were raised primarily from nobility mm -hmm. for military purposes when needed, right? Right. That's, that's the root of it. It's only post-Napoleonic wars where it became a way to enslave people. Yes. And, and extract, we can print the money, mm -hmm. but not only are we gonna print it, we're gonna put you on a burden, we're gonna collect 8%, 3%, and have no risk of doing it. You're not even going to see it. We're going to lever it 50 million to zero. Who even knows what we do with it? Mm -hmm. Good luck. And and you look to the benefit. There is none. Right. There, it's it's a poor example because of its sin. It's an original mm -hmm. sin to have the ability of mankind to conjure money. Mm -hmm. That is an original sin. Yes. And then it through taxation it cripples people. Yeah. Right. Right. The, the richest rich get to engineer not paying taxes. The poorest poor don't pay any taxes. Anybody who wants to try to do anything from here to here pays the entirety of it. Right. How are you going to have a successful society when you're doing that? 
Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I've said this before, but I think it's relevant. Like, if your effective tax rate is 100%, that is by definition a slave, right? All the fruits of your effort and labor go not to you. They go to the tax authority, right? So when we talk about taxation, it is theft. And you could say whatever your your effective tax rate is between zero and 100%, that's on the spectrum of your slavehood effectively, right? Mm -hmm. And this is, people think this is hyperbolic. They're like, what do you chill out, man? Things are good, like it's peaceful. Well, right. You don't understand. It is corroding society, right? That is the reason we're getting crazier. There's more of a mass psychosis. There's more people economically dispossessed. There's increasing desperation in the world. There's more combat, there's more conflict. Like this, if you view humanity zoomed out, it is the most self-destructive force in history. Without question. Right. Because it is the root of all the ancillary corruption. Yes. Like the, the FDA, you know, lying about the, 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 the um, you know, food table, mm -hmm. that's one thing. But right. the FDA approving a fourth shot of God knows what. Forced. Right. I mean, you, this, this is not even argument. Right. It's not debatable. And then you go, like, if you line up the taxes, okay, if I make 255, I'm at 37.7, right? Mm -hmm. And then if I'm capital gains, I'm 20, but then I have to add the Obamacare extra taxes. Then at a corporation, I got to pay payroll tax and right. corporate tax. And then, oh, what's the worst of them all? The one that angers me to all get out, and you know what I'm going to say, the MFing property tax. Mm -hmm. Because by default, that means that property is not mine because right. if I don't pay it, you're going to take it from right. me. And here we have Bitcoin that solves literally all of that. Yeah. Let's it's talk the about the purest that. apex collateral asset and property asset on the planet. So for all of those people out there that may scarcely understand Bitcoin or half the things we're talking about here, can we walk through how, you know, we say this a lot in Bitcoin circles, Bitcoin fixes that or Bitcoin fixes this because it's hard to find a problem that Bitcoin doesn't at least marginally contribute to its solution. But can you describe how, like all, like, I think you've laid out a pretty vicious case against the existing financial system. How is it that Bitcoin shatters that, reforms that, changes it's that? It's the tip of the that? sword. Yeah. It's all, and then it's, it's, it's like almost so hokey. I, 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 I like want to err on not even saying it, but <laughs> it leads by example. Mm -hmm. And the more you dive in, once you really grasp the freedom of the technology, right? Then, I what 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 when I found it found it right, it was round one epiphany, mm -hmm. round two epiphany, round three mm -hmm. epiphany, right, and round one epiphany was like, I can hold this in a hard drive, I don't have to pay a broker, I don't have to pay property tax. This is an asset. I don't have to pay a warehouse to store the gold. Like if I wanted to hold bricks of gold that are more than what I can handle at my house. Um, and I just thought it was brilliant because it solved for one of the things that has bothered me about our societal construct forever, which is property tax. It, it is crippling to think about if I, I saved a million dollars, I'm going to buy a home. I'm going to pay in and out realtor three, 6%, whatever mm -hmm. the commission is. Then the title company gets a point, then title doc stamps, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Then an appraisalist. And then, and then I got to pay every year for the entirety of the ownership. Right. And I'm not saying I don't support roads and schools. Levy me on those specifically. I'll pay you 10 times what mm -hmm. you think you're, you, you could get from me. Mm -hmm. But that forced made me realize that, hey, I don't know what it's going to be worth in fiat, but 
But guess what, Robert? I don't care because I know fiat's going to zero. <laughs> it, is, it is the weirdest thing as a professional investor to look at something and not measure it in performance in the way that we're supposed to. Right. Now, of course, th th I have to comply with that because that that's a benchmark, just like you're, you, you measure your doctor's success on how healthy you are, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So there has to be some way to have a scorecard as a professional investor and even as, as a investor who invests in professional investors. But personally, it's immaterial. Yeah. Because all we're doing is transferring something we know is gonna go to zero into something that is, is finite, has the best construct of any asset ever in all of mankind's history. And where, where Epiphany 3 occurred, was when ch the China ban disrupted and diversified the mining infrastructure mm -hmm. and reduced the probability of the 51% attack to mm -hmm. almost nothing. Mm -hmm. Then I was like, all right, I'm all in. <laughs> After already being one version of all in, then it was like, oh, I'm gonna quadruple down. Yeah. Um, and, and then the faith and security brings me and my family. My wife is Colombian. She's seen, I mean, South right. Americans that are even our age, around 35, 40 years old. It. They've already seen wealth being confiscated two, three times in Argentina in the last 11 years, Colombia, Venezuela, Chile, Peru, most recently. She, do you think she wants the money in the bank? Huh. This isn't rocket science. Right. So if it, if it satisfies that fear and anxiety, if it absolves my own fear and anxiety of having to deal with all the taxation and property taxes by just trying to be successful and be mm -hmm. a good human, I don't see anything that could lead me to be negative on it. Right. What is it like? Because I guess the most challenging thing about being in Bitcoin is trying to describe the future that we think it could usher in, because we've literally never seen anything like this before. Right. Like there's sort of these proxy examples. The Gilded Age is a great one. Right. We're on the gold standard, a functional gold standard for a brief period of time. There was a lot of flourishing of, you know, art, um, cooperation low and predictable taxes, gold flows around the world sort of kept governments in check. Mm -hmm. So we have like these little siloed versions of what it could look like, like almost looking at these instances of the successful gold standard as like a monetary prism of what a Bitcoin standard could look like. Mm -hmm. But where does, what in your mind does it look like? What, how do you describe like what it, does government remain post Bitcoin standard? And if so, what taxes are they collecting? What, what are they at that point? You know, it's, I, I, I said at the beginning, it's a, it's an error for man to try and predict. Um, <laughs> I'm not good at that. I, I'm, I'm good at quantitative mathematics, which yeah. give you, you know, a linear regression prediction of yeah. price expectation, but that's, you know, limits of the equations themselves. Sure. I, you know, I think you've you've got you've always had an ebb and flow of centralized authority mm -hmm. and decentralized authority. Yep. Um, on one end of the spectrum, you know what's very wrong with crypto as an asset class in a community is you have hucksters in here, just like Wall Street. Oh, yeah. You've got shit coins. You've got bullshit projects that aren't trying to improve any aspect of humanity. And there's so much sector approach to be taken with crypto, and there's some some great ones, but there's still a lot of crap that muddies the water for solid projects that are trying to further mankind advancement and innovation and and then bitcoin as the anchor to all of it mm -hmm. and you know so i would argue that you're never going to find perfection mm -hmm. it, it's just can we put a construct in place which, which 
it's not we didn't put in place it's in the code that balances the instinctual coercion corruption and greed that is mm -hmm. inherent to all mankind um like one of the things that i'm i'm very vocal about in the community and, and i think you've heard me say this i am not for the synthetics and the over financialization of the cryptocurrency market mm -hmm. at all especially bitcoin mm -hmm. and you can argue it from many perspectives. I am a futures principal. I, I love commodities. Uh, we could get into why commodity investments are kept from the public. That's a whole nother, mm. whole nother uh, can of worms. But re realistically, if you, we look at it as I'm a miner and I'm, I'm a bona fide hedger, I need to hedge my receivables. That's a, mm -hmm. that's a noble reason for hedging instruments to exist. Mm -hmm. Here's a way to stop the manipulation one-to-one -one ratio so nothing naked no, no no 160 300 to one none of that one-to-one right. -one ratio and you have options and futures that are in-kind settlement so you keep the root collateral as the underlying right and that what that limits it to is what i don't call manipulation is if i've got a billion and you have a million you're going to trade long i'm going to trade short my size is going to push you out of the way Right. I'm not manipulating it because of why? Because right. I'm taking risk with my capital. Yes, right. So if we remove a synthetic from it, right. then we have a healthy market for hedging right. for those who require it and a healthy market for those passive long-term investors. And again, to try and simplify that, it's all you're saying is the representation should match the reality, Correct. right? That so is no lies, no deception, basically. For, for example... Bit O. Sorry, folks. I'm going to pick on the ETF, which isn't an ETF. So sorry. It's it's an ETN, which has a debt instrument under it. Its construct does two things, right? So let's let's look at why commodity investing is difficult for for you and I. All right. Real world comparison. April 2020. USO United States Oil Fund. What a fun name. I want to buy oil. Wait a minute. The oil contract went negative <laughs> um so Robert, you'll, did, so you'll did pay oil me to stop oil? powering your car <laughs> so so hold on a second how the hell did it go negative mm -hmm. can you explain it to me i i'm just i'm just curious it was no longer worth anything to humans no wait it went to negative 34 37 dollars I, I can't remember the exact number it should that be physically possible how was it physically possible that that did that? Then did the ETF that's supposed to represent that, did that correspondingly go negative? No, it didn't. So wait a minute. As an investor, how the hell am I supposed to choose? So why did oil go negative? Because of the synthetic. Because of the futures contract. A barrel of oil, if you and I had the barrel of oil, I think it was April 23rd was the exact date, give or take, right sitting right there and we would bid and ask on it mm -hmm. would we ever get to a negative number no it's like negative distance or something it doesn't make sense it doesn't make any sense so that's a really good framing for what i'm about to say on this bitcoin etf because it is not a bitcoin etf it is a bitcoin futures exchange traded note mm -hmm. so futures what are they folks they are in vintages mostly monthly and then annually they have a cost that cost is called contango. It's a cost of rolling contracts because mm -hmm. 
time premium exists, where further out, you're going to pay a time premium. Right. So what happens when I'm the buyer of that instrument, being aware of the contango construct? I'm decaying my principle that I put mm -hmm. in on a schedule. That's layer number one. Layer number two, the regulators force them into shorter month contracts, which exacerbates short-term price fluctuations and spread differentials. Mm -hmm. That's another cost. Then I'm going to pay a fee to be in it. Mm -hmm. What it also does is it allows funds that don't have access to crypto directly to short the ETN itself, the shares of it. So then I'm shorting the shares of an ETF that's synthetically a short call on Bitcoin. I'm putting incredible artificial pressure on this mm -hmm. instrument. And then for the investors who are accessing, trying to have synthetic long exposure to crypto, it's the exact opposite because their experience is going to be negative just by the construct of it. Hmm. Just like, okay, you see the, the VIX ETFs, right? The long ones, they go from like $1,100, they just decay all the way down to nothing because that's the construct of, of the way these things are constructed, whether mm -hmm. it's corn or wheat, they all do have those same features. Mm -hmm. So to me, we don't have to talk about synthetics theoretically hurting it. We have it real time. Right. And then the exchanges ought to be ashamed of themselves for the, the perpetual futures contracts. Oh. Isn't that an oxymoron? A perpetual futures. Now I'm speaking about the crypto exchanges. Yeah. Perpetual future. <laughs> Wait. So you're going to say this instrument's going to live forever and I can trade it? Mm. Is it Bitcoin? No. Dude. No. Just no synthetics. Right. Now, would, do you advise that being enforced via regulation, or is this something that you think the market would just flush out if we were not on a fiat standard? Yeah, th this is where I personally get gray because the absolutist in black and white terms would say, let the market decide. Yeah. But the sort of compassionate, bleeding heart, liberal, libertarian mm -hmm. side of me um, while recognizing that was like, no, just mandate it and no one have the issue. Right. Um, so I have to lean towards the purity of free markets and, and ultimately the, the community will choose or, and or the market will self-regulate. Right. I mean, it seems like it would not be as large of a market on a hard money standard as no, when you can go synthetically into synthetics through a fiat, then it makes it a no-brainer. Right. Right. I think if if you remove that on-off ramp and then incentive, that would severely reduce it. Mm -hmm. I, what I'm trying to do is just create awareness. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, hey guys, the volume on the the perpetual futures is larger than the volume on spot. That's probably not a good thing. Yeah. And we have all these examples in capital controls in the stock market. Like, what what happened? You know, after OA, oh, limit downs now 5% instead of 15%. Wait, so you're not even going to allow stocks to go down 5% in a day? What the f kind of market is that? Right. Oh, but they can go up 5 but they can't go down 5 Right. Like, is anybody asking themselves why they're even playing in that? You know, I mean, it's just it's just ludicrous. Um, so I, I think we we ought to live by the principles and die by the principles, and they are no no interference from regulatory right. bodies, but I think a, what we call SRO, a self-regulatory organization that mm -hmm. advocates for wisdom, truth, and responsible right. investing 
I think that's valuable. Like you see it in some DAOs that are forming and, uh, you know, I know my group's expertise and and experience, you know, with with investment instruments is hopefully valuable, but we're, we're only trying to make people aware of the environments they're trading in. Yes. I don't agree with them existing in the first place, but it's not for me to decide, obviously. Right, right. It is for the market to decide. So, okay, one of the things you said earlier, I think this is a great point too. And people, this is a piece of wisdom I think people should just hold on to because it's so applicable in so many domains of life. But if the product is free, you are the product, right? And this sort of ties into what we are talking about offline before we started. All human organizations are businesses, right? This includes your government. This includes your church. This includes every your, every club you're a part of, right? There's some purpose that's being aimed at and achieved by that group, but it needs to have more inflows than outflows to be sustainable across time, right? Because there's a cost to being alive, frankly. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up. And then so that points to like all, this whole concept of printing money for free to just solve all our problems. Like it's not what it appears to be. It's quite, it's opposite. No, they have to name it to really fool the public with it. Modern monetary theory. Right, right, yeah. Wait, what's modern about it? Not modern, not monetary, not a theory, just theft. <laughs> the fact that people fall for it, hook, on the sinker, is, is embarrassing. So what I, what I would like to ask you is, given your, the education you had coming into Wall Street, what would our forefathers say about the state of affairs today? You know, how far have we diverged from the foundational principles that originally made America great? And I want to be very specific here, like pre-fed America. People often want to attack me and say, oh, you say America is the greatest socioeconomic experiment in history. Look what it's doing in the world today. It's an imperialist. It's blowing everything up. It's fully corrupt. Right, like That's, that's all post-fed America. Right. I'm talking about pre-fed America, where we became dominant in the world through libertarian principles, essentially. What would our forefathers that established that say about our reality today? I mean, it's worse than how you just described it, right? So not only did the central monetary systems debase everything good about humanity Mm -hmm. over the last 50 years, but they're exact opposite of the intentions of governing law, Mm -hmm. right? Why do we have rule of law? We have rule of law to keep boundaries on the extremes that humans can inflict on each other, Mm -hmm. right? So if that's the case, and then the embodiment of American law is the Constitution, which is a very simple document. It's my my favorite document ever written. Um, It outlines natural law. These aren't laws of man. Mm -hmm. This is natural law. Do unto others as you would have done to you is a natural law. Mm -hmm. Don't Take from your neighbor is a natural law. Don't commit treason against your people. That's a natural law. So what has been bastardized since that realization, which is what drove, still driving people in here today just on the romanticism that it Mm -hmm. once existed, not that it's applied to its fullest extent today, but what that allowed for is these mega corporations and oligarchies to essentially arises offshoots of this money printing. They're byproducts of it, they're offshoots of it, and then they they consume all of the governmental agencies that are unelected. 
Like mm-hmm. that, that's where you can draw a really distinct line that unelected bureaucrats are typically also connected to corporate oligarchy, mm-hmm. which is a byproduct of monetary policy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very, very simple. Don't spend more than you take in. Mm-hmm. Like it, Buffett says this greatly, like term limits. Oh, if they don't balance the budget, they don't get paid. Like there are so many easily <laughs> identifiable ways to fix this, where even if you just said, hey, you can buy all the missiles you want, but you can only buy them with this amount of money that you take in from us. Right. And then we're going to lower it by 95% because that's what we owe. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think that the forefathers, I don't want to speak for them because they're much greater men than I'll ever be, but I think they would stand up and, and you know, sing from the rafters like they did during the revolution again and remind us what sacrifices it took to form this country. And, and you have to make sacrifices for freedom in general. Mm-hmm. That's what I think the, the, the military industrial complex, the bureaucratic technocratic super governments and, and the central banks have done brilliantly mm-hmm. is they have dumbed people down into not realizing that if you want freedom, it takes effort, it takes commitment, mm-hmm. it takes passion. And the most free people in the world are the most dangerous to them, right? Because they can't be controlled. And it has nothing to do with your economic standing. It has only to do with what you have here and here. Right. So, so, to, to answer you, they would just say, hey, apply our constitution, please. Fire 99% of the government. <laughs> Make it, you know, oh, how many antitrust lawsuits should, should there be? Right. Break up all these mega corporations. Wait, we have, we have four companies that are worth 92% of our entire year GDP. Mm-hmm. Does that not worry anyone? Right. And... Even that concentration in the corporate oligarchy, as you call it, though, is a consequence of fiat, right? The fact that the bigger you are, the cheaper you can borrow, the more share buybacks you can engage in. You have this artificial growth mechanism that's benefiting from confiscation via inflation and taxation. Yeah, you, you termed it right. It's not artificial growth. It's artificial increase of asset price, but not right. growth. Right, right, right. Like, let's let's pick on Amazon. Sorry, Jeff. Um how did Amazon put millions of mom and pops out of business? What was the core factor? Uh, initially, they were skirting state tax law, I guess, on some of their cells. That's part of it. But because Wall Street gave them money without cost and without consequence mm. and without end. So what did they even do to big, big giants like Clorox and Procter & Gamble? They drove prices down so much to make it uncompetitive where they took over business. How that wasn't illegal to begin with, maybe it was actually illegal and just nobody applied not, the law. Don't we want that, though? Because, I mean, so, again, we talked about this earlier, and free markets, prices deflate. That benefits consumers. So don't we want that to happen? No, because by them achieving that and not having a profit all the way until, what, two years ago? They went all that time without mm. generating a profit, yet became a multi-trillion dollar company. Wait, so if you're not making profit, why would I invest money in you? That means you're not right. successful. So it was, it was literally a confiscation and takeover of mom and pop goods and services and distribution. Plain and simple. Gotcha. From logistics and distribution right. now being a core thing to all of the, the uh, online shopping. And people, oh, it's convenient. Yeah, yeah do you realize that 18.93 million people and counting lost their businesses because of your lazy ass? Hmm. Give me a break. And it, and it effectively didn't lower price of goods for long duration. It was an illusion of that. 
So this is a fiat subsidized monopoly, effectively, right. because you, it would not have achieved that. And they're without almost the all like that. Yeah. Right. Share buybacks. Wait, if you and I want to go buy, pick a company. Like uh, Apple, humongous share buyback. Mm -hmm. We got to compete with them to buy shares. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm out. I'll lose that battle. Mm -hmm. That's like you and I going and getting a fight with the Russian military. We probably can't beat them, just the two of us. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to fight that battle. But this is what this this is the construct we're faced with. Mm. It's unbelievable. So this is, I mean, the fiat currency. Let's just say the legal monopoly that is central banking is just driving centralization. It enables it, is yeah. it encourages it, and it lights it all on fire. Right. Right. Should a company self-liquidate should be the question most investors ask. And then should access to infinite money at no cost be available for any human, let alone a company or a government? No. These right. are all byproducts and roots of not tethering monetary supply to something very simple like a commodity or something even more simple like population growth. Right. Either way, you prevent things like this from happening. Uh, you think... Money supply should be tethered to population growth? I'm, I'm just throwing out constructs that would be a lot more beneficial, that oh, okay. are easy to understand. I, I don't have an opinion because I don't think there should be any monetary authority. That's my opinion. Right, right, right But right. if we're going right. to have this theoretical it process... Should be to, based on something other than whim. Right. Right. Makes sense. Like, you could you could do so many different types of, you know, deflators, um, GDP correlations there yeah. there are very very simplistic ways to theoretically increase the money supply to then increase the velocity money because it has to have purpose behind it the purpose behind ours was first theft yeah and then corruption mm -hmm. yeah the i agree with you any of that would be better than just the outright whim we have controlling it all today but when i've in my studies of it there was one in this is in England. It was basically the pre-Bitcoin Bitcoin. I think this is in the 1800s. I can't recall the name of the act or the law they tried to pass. But essentially they said, this is it. This is the money supply. 15 million pounds forever. It's a fixed money supply. We're never going to change it again. You know, they dealt with bouts of inflation previously. This was the lesson they had learned. It was a permanent, intended to be a permanent implementation. Mm -hmm. So it's like Bitcoin, right? Fixed money supply. No one can change it. Corrupted. Everybody played by the rules. 30 years later, right? There's some economic emergency. They're like, oh, never mind. We got to repeal it and change it and all that. So no matter what we do, it seems like as humans, so long as there is an option to change that money supply according to our short-term interest, we'll do it every time, right? We'll cut off our nose to spite our face sort of thing. Yeah, and that, that has to do with centralization, right? Yeah. Like by being decentralized and no one having the ability to be corrupted to do that, right. you've solved for it. Right. And there's no question there. It solves for that. Right. Which gold was a proxy for and Bitcoin perfects. Yeah. And if you took, let's say it was 10 million pounds of gold, if you took that and distributed it to every mom and pop has an ounce, mm -hmm. right? A lot harder to centrally change the, the edict or dictate there, right? Yeah. Makes it almost impossible. Yeah. If not impossible. And that's like, oh, well, that's how Bitcoin's distributed. Yeah. And then having a finite amount of it. Right. Yeah. It's... It's interesting. Like it's something, again, people have thought about this, right? Like they tried to implement it in England a couple hundred years ago, but due to human frailty, fallibility, whatever, it's just not implementable pre-Bitcoin. Well, and the Spartans tried really hard. Their coin was lead. Iron money, right? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, 
that was trying to get away from the you know illusion of the sheen of precious metals and, right. and silver and gold. So this this isn't something that you know we're only now thinking about, as you're pointing out. This is this has been an echo of humanity for our entire existence that we really haven't had the construct or the instrument to implement permanent change until now. Yes. Yeah. So you and I communicate a lot. We trade texts. I would say it's a pretty libertarian themed conversation. Max freedom. (laughs) (laughs) I want to just read you sent me, you sent me a number of things, but you've sent me this one quote here from John Locke. He said, quote, truth scarce ever yet carried it by vote anywhere at its first appearance new opinions are always suspected and usually opposed without any other reason but because they are not already common what does that mean to so there's no such thing as new opinions right everyone Mm. has been reiterated throughout all of time and that what he's arguing is that because truth is laid out by natural law, mm-hmm. anything that comes should be questioned. Right. So then the only way we're actually advancing ourselves is through new implementation, right? Through innovation. Frankly. Processes. Right? Yeah. Because truth is black and white, hmm. right? But the, the way we think makes it black and white. The way others might view it, it can be relative. Mm-hmm. So what, what what I agree with how Locke laid it out is that you can have all these opinions, but they're they they're not true, pure truth. Yeah. We to me, it's it's not disproving or proving something. It's trying to get people aware of what should be everyone's universal truths, which right. aren't. We don't have to be brilliant to even think about. It's been reiterated right. throughout right. all of time. Right. He he does it, I think, better than anyone. Yeah. Which, as we were saying offline too, like ultimately it's just freedom, right? I can't. Free will is what separates man from the animals, right? Yes. And what what is a construct of free will? It's personal truth that is a reflection of universal and natural truth. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. And that's what builds a soul. Like you don't have to be religious or 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 a psychologist to realize that these are pretty easy stepping stones to arrive at that. Now, how? Okay. So to someone that has never even has no familiarity with the term natural law. How do you approach that topic? Because I've found the typical resistance I encounter is like people think it's all subjective. They think I'm just bringing some other belief system to them and now they get to decide whether they want to adopt or reject. But natural law, as I think you and I see it, is something that's more fundamental than us even, right? It's the essence of what makes us human. Correct. To me, and this will be a, you know, regurgitation of Locke and, and Kant, Hobbes, and Smith. As is all knowledge and everything. Be- we because say, right? yeah. they all just came at it differently. Yeah. To me, it, the simplicity and beauty is, is how we separate the instinct of a wolf, right? Mm-hmm. A wolf never eats more than it needs to survive, right? It may kill for its family, mm-hmm. but it, its instinct governs that process, right? Mm-hmm. For humans, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So to me... It's, it's laws that are present and observable in nature that are inalienable. Mm-hmm. That when free will is applied to, then create the construct for human. Mm. That, that, that's how I articulate it. You, you, like, whether you look at biodiversity, 
the beaver is just as pointer as the wolf as important as the wolf or the deer or the butterfly like nature is perfect in its ecosystems mm -hmm. if not no adaptation and the nature eliminates it right whatever it is whether it's an insect a river a beaver it doesn't even matter yeah. so that basis that we can achieve by objective observation for what are universal instinctual truths for the ecosystems of the world all, all the only thing that we're different on is free will because an animal has instinctual governance of a lot of its behavior you can argue some have free will i'm, I'm yeah. not here to debate that yeah. but um that's the basis for me right so it's purpose ultimately right yeah like the investing in what you like right as a tenant that should be professed and you know saying from the mountains is not anywhere mm -hmm. they 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 make you feel bad and call it FOMO, fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. And then FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And then they always say, oh, there's uncertainty, uncertainty. Robert, is what certainty? <laughs> I, I, they're talking the to wealthy to adults and telling million, us. Right? <laughs> I, so it's a, to me, it's a lot easier to understand natural law yeah. and the tenets of which, which are based in nature. Yeah. And then you can apply the application of mankind to it via free will. Right, right. You know, I, uh, often in my thinking, I'm like trying to look at things from different perspectives, but I often find myself running into Darwinism. You know, like it's always this, the creative destruction, survival of, survival of the fittest doesn't quite capture it, but. Um, no, because we, we're certainly not doing that now. Right, well, that's what I'm saying. So there's, the process of ongoing tension or conflict drives individual organisms to excel, right, towards excellence. That's why you see animals in nature, right? They, they tend to be beautiful, right? They're, they're conditioned for the harsh realities of, of survival in their own little niche. So it's kind of like it's brutal, but it's beautiful at the same time. Where did humans diverge from that? Because now in this fiat type culture, like as you said about zombie companies, for instance, we're not letting them die, right? We're actually siphoning off the productive economy to feed failing right. industries and businesses. So I'll, I'll draw two parallels. Let's, let's define what a zombie company is, right? Zombie company is a company that is so cash strapped that not only can it not pay interest on its debt and cannot pay off its debt. It has to pay interest on existing debt with new debt. Right. That by definition is a zombie company. Right. What, what does it do to society? It directs productive resources to an unproductive outcome. Yes. What does it do to humanity? It dulls us into sleep. It, it creates lack of opportunity, lack of innovation. And, and then the, the parallel is like, if we're tired, drugged, malnutritioned, and, ang and anxious, are we going to create anything worth creating? No. Of course. So if our economy is zombified and we're zombified, mm -hmm. then the monetary system can use us to whatever extent they want to. Right. Both from a corporate and, and, and um, economic sphere and, as well as a personal sphere. I like that definition because what immediately popped to mind was the United States government as a zombie company. 
right? We are also it's bankrupt, right? It's at that bankrupt. stage of having to print money to pay the interest on existing debt, so issuing new debt to pay off to pay well, interest. What's on even debt. worse than that? The number one expenditure right now is welfare, hmm. and then second's healthcare, third is interest. So you're going to tell me the top three expenses of the government have nothing to do with helping the existing citizens do anything productive? Nobody has a problem with that. And, and the uh, debtclock.org updates this in real time. Yeah. Like, it, it, this isn't my opinion. This is right. black and white math. So fiat leads to zombification. There's also this interesting thing. Um, I did a series with John Verveke, who's like a philosophy professor. And he wrote a whole book about zombie mythology in the modern age. And there's one really fascinating chart in his book. And it shows how often the term zombie is used. And it absolutely explodes after 1971. Surprise, surprise. So there's this, the zombie mythology is kind of like the modern fiat mythology. We see it, it's in movies and whatever, yeah. whatever, zombie companies. What, and so the United States government is a zombie company. There's several other fiat addicted zombie uh, nation states. What in the, how, the World Economic Forum, how does it fit into this picture? What is it? Oh, man, you're going to get me killed. Um, <laughs> so, essentially, there, there are just governance groups mm -hmm. of this, this fiat fraud, mm -hmm. is what I like to call it. And there are layers, right? The Secretary of Treasury and Treasury, which is technically owned by you and I as taxpayers and our listeners, um, that's like the lowest level of authority, opinion, or influence. Mm -hmm. Then you go to the private central banks, which there's maybe six to 10 countries left on the planet that don't have that construct. Mm -hmm. So it's global mm -hmm. finance. And then you go to the supranational level, which, you know, you got IMF, Bank of International Settlements at that and, and World Bank. Mm -hmm. And then above that is the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. And that is the diktat of policy from top down mm. and you know the the more well known now is the the great reset and blah mm -hmm. blah blah but what what's horrifying to me is when you bear witness to the language the minutes and the videos mm -hmm. uh, because they have such psychopaths as this dr harari who literally says we have no free will mm. literally says well we have no free will and that humans are hackable and are not entitled to their own opinion. And then, oh, by the way, another gentleman named Mr. Schwab says we should own nothing and like it by 2030. And wait a minute, there's an agenda 2030? And Yeah, the, the, actually, you're hitting on it here. The quote that set me off about them recently, I think it was from Mr. Schwab, that we should not own property. There should be abolishing private property, which as we've laid out here. Yeah. Does that mean for him too? course not right it's not possible it's and you know ayn rand <laughs> makes the great point that that is the basis of civilization if you don't have property rights you have no other human rights they're all built on top of property fences make good neighbors right chesterton i love that one and then he in that same quote said not only should we abolish private property but we should also stop eating meat so what and, and as you're describing okay this supranational level this is effectively, I guess, the shareholders of central banks and all these opaque and the, oligarchies. And, the yeah. and this is like the, the apex of that pyramid is now 
stating to us explicitly that the foundation of civilization, we're, we're going to abolish that and you're not going to eat meat, which is the most nutrient dense food on earth. We've been eating it for millions of years. What? It's so well, how heavy. do we respond to it, this it, as it, dude, humans? It's so heavy. And again, I, I, you have to go bear argument, bull argument. Mm-hmm. So the, the bull argument is, okay, he's a nice guy. He thinks this is a way that society could be more economically equal, blah, 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 blah. So let, let's, let's think, it's, think it's a good policy, and the, the way they go about doing it isn't mm-hmm. killing three-fourths of the population. Let's, let's consider that it's the bull case. They disguise the bull case with this language of sustainability. Mm-hmm. Now, let me preface with saying, while well, I'm a nobody and a peon and, and you know, try to be a good husband and good father and, and, and a good representation of my client's wealth, uh, and defend it best of my ability. I'm a no one, right? So this is just my humble opinion as an environmentalist. That's not that's not to distort that word, but someone who cares about the environment. Conservationist is maybe a better term. Mm-hmm. There's no mother effing way to increase solar more than three percent of total power production. Mm-hmm. There isn't enough minerals. That's one construct that limits what they're saying. So mm-hmm. you can't go in 10 times the amount of solar and wind that we have now. It's not mathematically possible. Mm-hmm. And then nowhere is the consideration of the decay of the wafers, which produces all kinds of problems, mm-hmm. the storage, the issue, the issuance, the, the carbon footprint of the creation of those, all of that, none of that's into this malarkey that they profess. But let's, let's stay on, oh, to be productive and sustainable you're going to destroy the world in the process. Hmm. Right? So even if we take what they're saying for face value and that it has good intentions, that alone will destroy the entire planet. You're saying solar... Solar wind. Exclusively solar wind. quote-unquote sustainability. Getting rid of coal, coal, oil, and gas. I'm all for lowering carbon footprint, but no one's saying the most obvious thing that we could do, which plant three billion trees. That'll suck up an ungodly sum of CO2, and then it's not even an issue. Right. They don't want that because they don't right. want it fixed, right? And we can't do, you know, a lot of geothermal and, and hydroelectric because it's going to destroy nature. Mm-hmm. So I'm not for that. And oil really doesn't, isn't the primary driver of the destruction of biodiversity and ecosystems. Deforestation and overpopulation is. Right. So, you know, you could argue that his, oh, we're not going to eat meat because of the methane and it's number one pollutant, blah, blah, blah. I agree with that conceptually, but it's the application of it, right? Well, so, okay, I hear you on all that, but more fundamentally, how can you even have an economy without property? I mean, again, we're still on the assuming they're not nefarious. But even assuming they're not nefarious, you're saying no private property, you call yourself the World Economic Forum. What is an economy with no property? Well, That's uh, like saying a... I don't know, a sky with no air or something. It doesn't make any sense. Let's quote Lenin here. The goal of socialism is communism, right? Where the state owns the property. Mm. So that that's essentially, we're, we're still in the, they're nice mm-hmm. guys, they're trying to help us out, mm-hmm. bull case. That is my interpretation of if they're trying to be benevolent and omniscient, mm-hmm. the goal is that the state owns all the apartments, right. all the utensils, all the farms and 
everybody gets equitable distribution of it. So even assuming the bull benevolent so, so, But case, pointing out property is owned by the state, to answer your question. Right, so then he's still lying. He's but, saying, because he's saying no property, but that's not actually possible. It's not possible to have an economy without property. Right, right. You're pointing out the someone. logical fallacy, right? So how yeah. smart are they really when they put that in their publications? They're not very smart. Um, it's impossible to have an economy without property. But all right, so we're going to move from the bull side to the bear side <laughs> and, and, and then look at what it really is. It's rules for thee and not for me. Right. That's it. Right. Because so, even by, by having it be communist, mm -hmm. you have a global communist new world order, mm -hmm. which is what that's suggesting mm -hmm. in its best form. The application to get from here to there destroys the entire planet right. in of itself. Right. So maybe we don't take that into account right now. The, the bad part about it is that how are you going to confiscate everybody's stuff, dude? Mm. So you go to the negative side, they think they deserve it. They think they're better than everyone. Mm. They think they know better. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's not far off any of the despotic evil that's been what we've read in the history books, right. if not worse, because we're only spoon fed what they're allowing us to see. Uh, you know, what are they actually saying behind closed doors? Right. How long has this agenda been in place? Uh, uh, since right. 71, at least. Right. Uh, if not 1743, to be exact. So, yeah. So the, the culmination of this presumably is there's going to be a cohort of people that, which I assume you're in, I consider myself to be in that I'll never let go of my private property that's going to meet this attempt to abolish private property. Yeah, give me liberty or give me death. It's very yeah. simple. But yeah. we are, are, are the minority of passion and thought because how they're going to roll out this disguised version of consecrate, you know, mm -hmm. confiscating everybody's property is under the, the guise of universal basic income. Right. Oh, here's your insect burger. Here's yeah. your flat. Here's, Here's your idiot phone. CBDC wallet to buy it. Yeah. Dude, and everybody, and, and they're, they're pulverizing psychology and humanity into this low frequency. And masculinity zombie. too, right? To where if ever they were going to win in totality, it's now. It's because when you look at my humble opinion, again, mm. when you look at the quantity of people that would rather accept that pseudo peace, mm -hmm. And lack of innovation, lack of ability to to realize the American dream or lack any dream, freedom. Any total dream lack of freedom. Have. Freedom to create the number of kids they want. Mm -hmm. not. Freedom to choose your own health care. All of those freedoms that Americans have taken for granted that other people on the planet have never even had are gone. And I, I'm I'm worried and concerned that too much of the population is is not an advocate for truth, is not an advocate for reason and logic is not an advocate for their neighbor uh -huh. and is just a self-centered, zombified, drugged up, malnutritioned meat puppet. <laughs> That's really what they think we are. Scary stuff. Um, but yeah, give me liberty or give me death. Yeah, I give me liberty that or give me death. sums it up um, for me. I've um, come through many full circles. Yeah. Don't fear it anymore. Ready to face it. Hope others are too. And it's an actual easy win. Yeah. It's an easy win. It's the only way we will win, right?
It's just a simple choice. We choose to play in their game or not. Right. Right. Or leave the game and play our own. And that's, I mean, that's pretty much what Bitcoin is, right? Like, it's a game. Fair rules can't be broken. Can't be corrupted. Yeah, and when you look at the what they've enabled as far as all these corporations and investment firms sucking up all the farmland mm-hmm. and all the single-family homes, like, the the stage is set for that sort of control and takeover, and right. people just need to be more aware and hopefully more aware of what their rights are and what their freedoms are yeah. that, you know, nature and God intended for them and yeah. they're born with. Yeah. Amen to that. Chris Sullivan, this has been one hell of a conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, could you please let my audience know where they can find out more about you or your work? Sure. Our our uh, humble one-page website is hyperiondecimus.com. It's H-Y-P-E-R-I-O-N-D-E-C-I-M-U-S.com. Um, we do have a, a, a contact page. Um, we don't do any uh, advertising or sales, cause, partly because we don't know how to and partly because we think it's cheesy and douchey. But um, <laughs> this is this is you know our firm that we're trying to defend capital and create wealth in a way that is not only defensible from a strategy and quantitative and mathematical perspective, but from an ethical one as mm-hmm. well. And um, we don't participate in any synthetics. We don't do shitcoin projects that we know we can make money off of. But if there's no inherent utility, it doesn't provide universal opportunity, decentralized uh, apps or truth or any of the above. Mm-hmm. This isn't a hard benchmark to set, by the way. Mm-hmm. Then we don't we don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're living and dying by the sword at the best of our skill set and ability, and um, we're almost half of our money anyways. So we're going to do this come high, hell or high water. And um, yeah, just honored to convey my two Satoshis. Honored to have you. Thank you so much, brother.